Chapter 18 of The Browns at Mount Hermon by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18 Kendall Browning's Opportunity. Come out to the assembly grounds with us, brother, and speak to our young people. We have a grand rally there at four o'clock and an opportunity. These were the words that greeted Kendall Browning as he turned from the Carmen boys. Mr. Brown's hand rested on the younger man's shoulder, and his tones were those of a comrade. Browning's eyes were bright. The excitement of the morning's effort was still upon him, and he felt eager for opportunities. It seemed to him that he had a message to be given as often as possible. He spoke eagerly. "'A young people's rally. May I come? I should like to tell all the young people in the world what I have found.' "'Yes, thank you. I shall be glad to go. Boys, will you go over to the assembly with me? It is a splendid walk under the big trees. It will be all right for them to go, will it not, Mr. Brown?' Whereupon that gentleman extended his invitation to them, and made it hearty. The boys looked at one another and laughed a little. They were embarrassed. This was entirely new ground. Did Brownie mean just what he had been saying, or was this part of a colossal joke? Do them the justice to understand that if it was a joke they were ashamed of Brownie. There were limits even to fun, and these young men came from Christian homes. They looked helplessly at Dennison, who, in the absence of Browning, had always been their leader. Indeed, he had sometimes led in ways that Browning would not have chosen. He spoke quickly now, in undertone. Let us go, boys. We might as well make a day of it and see what this really means. I don't understand it myself." So, to the disappointment of Farmer Brown, whose thoughts of hospitality had included the Carmen boys, they all tramped away up the hill toward the assembly trail. Kendall Browning ran his eyes eagerly along the groups walking by twos until he saw Miss Brown with Aileen Roberts. Then, with a word of excuse to the boys, he made a rush for her side. "'May I have a word with you, Miss Brown? Do you really mean to write to my mother, as you said?' Miss Brown laughed a little. She was almost as much embarrassed as the Carmen boys. "'I am afraid that was one of my rash remarks,' she said, trying not to meet his eager eyes. "'Ah, but I wish very much that you would, if you are willing. My mother would appreciate it. The ladies are so much better at description than boys are, and mothers, you know, like to be told every little thing—how the church looked, and how the people were seated, and what was sung. By the way, wasn't the singing fine? Boys, I never heard you sing better, and I appreciated it. And then you assembly people helped so splendidly. Why, Miss Brown, I don't want to trouble you, of course, but I am sure my mother would be very grateful. I can't tell you how wonderful it seems to me that you should have given me that word from her and that good word from yourself, last night of all nights in the world. It would be unaccountable to people who do not believe in God, wouldn't it? Sometime I want to tell you about last night. Oh, I shall never be able to put into words the story of what a night it was. You couldn't possibly appreciate it anyway, because you never, either of you, took the role of a hypocrite, you see. His glance included Aileen, but he went on eagerly before either could speak. That is precisely what I was doing last night, posing as a minister. It hardly seems possible that I could have done it, or meant to do it. My mother will scarcely believe it. But after the Lord really takes possession of us, things have a very different look from what they did before, don't they? And then Mary Brown could not help feeling that she was playing the role of a hypocrite. He talked to her as one who knew experimentally what it meant to have the Lord take possession of her, and she did not know how to undeceive him. Indeed, he gave her no chance. He went on eagerly about his mother and the joy she would feel in hearing the great news. "'Of course I shall write to her at once, and tell her how her message came through you at exactly the right moment to influence the decision. Isn't living wonderful?' he broke off to say with added enthusiasm. "'What if you had not cared to use your influence for God last night, or had been so indifferent to his work that you had forgotten the message? Should I not have needed it to tip the balance? Of course I should, and of course the Lord knew it, and knew that you would supply your link in the chain.' I say, doesn't that make life grand if we are true to it? But it makes it solemn, too, doesn't it? 
to think that the passing word we speak or fail to speak may help or hinder a soul forever. She got away from the enthusiast as soon as she could. It became increasingly impossible to try to explain to this honest, eager boy that she was not a disciple in any sense of the word, notwithstanding the fact that she was posing as a link in that wondrous chain. As the trail narrowed, she purposely dropped behind, the boy and girl seeming to be in no wise disturbed thereat. Indeed, the moment he found himself practically alone with Aileen, Kendall Browning began earnestly in lowered tone. "'Will you let me tell you, Miss Roberts, how much you helped me?' "'I,' said Aileen, and she put both amazement and delight into the small pronoun. "'How could I? You were confusing me with someone else.' "'Indeed not, as if I could do that. It was what you said about my being different from other college boys, you know. It was when you thought I was a minister, or was going to be one. It made my face burn at the time to think what an awful hypocrite I was. I tried to undeceive you. Do you remember that I made the attempt?' "'Oh, yes,' said innocent Aileen. "'I remember every word you said. But of course I didn't think—no, of course you did not understand. How could you? But do you know, I could not get away from the wish that I were in reality just what you thought me?' "'And so you went and made a truly minister of yourself right away just to make good my opinion? That was real nice of you.' Aileen's silvery little laugh bubbled out, and her bright eyes sparkled with fun. Browning laughed with her, but he was in too intense earnest not to grow instantly sober. "'No, really, Miss Roberts, it was a God-given thought on your part. You were led, don't you see, to say just the right word. I felt its power. I have felt it all the morning. I am not posing now. You understand that, of course. I am in dead earnest, and I wanted to say to you at the very first opportunity that I am going to try to do it, to live up to your ideal of what a Christian should be. I know it is high, and I can only aim for it, but it is worth a great deal to have high ideals, to know what is expected of one. Don't you think so? Of course there is an even higher motive now, one that controls.' Do you get my meaning? A higher than earthly motive. I have always wanted not to disappoint my mother, and yet I have gone on disappointing her year after year in the most reckless way, but now it is different, utterly different, and I realize for the first time the meaning of your motto that I have heard so often. One is our master, even Christ. He is master. I feel his hand. But I need not try to explain to you. Of course you understand better than I do myself that I am in a new world today. I have crossed the line." There was no mistaking the solemn earnestness of his voice. The fun had gone out of Aileen's eyes. She spoke very gravely. "'No, Mr. Browning, I don't understand. Not in the way that you think. I am not in the least what they call a Christian, and the new world that you talk of I know nothing about.' He gave her a troubled look. "'Do you mean it, Miss Roberts? Why, I thought—I thought—this morning when I heard you sing I almost felt—' He did not finish any of his sentences. He was not the kind of young man who could tell so new an acquaintance that she had made him think he had seen a vision of angels. She came to his aid. "'You thought everybody was good because you meant to be. It is not true, Mr. Browning. I am not good at all. My mother could tell you that I do not care for any of these things. Mother is a Christian. I don't believe there could be a better one, and she wants everything good that there is in the world for me, and nothing so much as to have me a real Christian, and I keep on disappointing her all the time. So now you see what I am.' "'Then we are on the same ground,' he said quickly, you and I. "'It is the way I have treated my mother for years and years. "'But you will not do it any longer. "'You will settle the matter today, now, will you not? "'I am sure you will.' His voice throbbed with feeling. She looked up at him then, wondering, her face flushed, and her whole fair person trembling. "'I do not understand what you mean,' she said. "'One cannot settle such things as one would decide a trip to town, or some other trifle.' If I cannot feel as my mother and a very few other people would like to have me, I am surely not to blame. We do not make our feelings, and I will never pretend what I do not feel, even to please my mother. One cannot force oneself to be interested in such matters. 
I beg your pardon, he said eagerly, but that is just what one can and should do. Not force oneself to be interested exactly. I should not use that word. But one can oblige oneself to take hold of a duty and be loyal to it, no matter what one's feelings are. If there is anything in this world that I have been sure of for a long time, it is that. Why, in college I felt like fooling away my time and money in what I was pleased to call fun, and did it. But dear me, I knew all the while that I had no business to be doing any such thing, and that I was entirely capable of turning around and facing the other way the minute I told myself to do so, and this without the slightest regard to what my feeling in the matter might chance to be. There is a sense in which feeling had nothing whatever to do with it. Then, said Aileen, in an astonishment that was almost indignation, religion is a mere matter of decision, and being converted, as my mother calls it, is just saying that you will or will not do certain things, and that is all there is to it. No, oh no, indeed, that is very far from being all there is to it. It may be that we do not use the right terms in talking about it. Strictly speaking, I suppose we convert ourselves, that is, we change our position, turn around and face the other way. That is really the best way I can put it. It appeals to me, you see, because I had to do exactly that. But there is another word. I was brought up on theology, Miss Roberts. My grandfather and two of my uncles were ministers, and I can remember what must have been theological discussions as early as I can remember anything. I used to hear much about that long word, regeneration, which seems now to be seldom used. But it is a good dictionary word. I looked it up this very morning in connection with a thought that troubled me, and it explained for me the sudden and remarkable change that had come over my feelings. I discovered that that was God's part. A radical change, the dictionary says, accomplished by the direct action of the Spirit of God. You see, I was perfectly certain that something had happened to me, outside of and entirely beyond myself, and that word regeneration took hold of me. I am a dabbler in the study of words. I like to get at their root meanings. They sort of fascinate me, and the words seemed just great enough to express the meaning of the change that had come to me. I felt myself made new. But before that time, Miss Roberts, before God consciously took hold of me and wrought his marvel, I was just as distinctly conscious of an act upon my part, of a decision, deliberate, entire, unchangeable. I surrendered, that's the word. That tremendous force within me, which had heretofore been the victim of my caprice, or of any passing feeling, I gave over consciously into the hands of God, and pledged myself irrevocably to follow his lead from that time forth, without any regard to whether I felt like doing so or not. If I were going to make a dictionary, I believe I should name that act on my part conversion. I could and did do it of my own will, and I believe in my soul that it had to precede that other act of God's. I hope you can forgive me. I did not intend to preach a sermon at you, but I did want to talk about this great thing with you, and I want to ask you something. I want to ask you if you will not, without regard to any feeling which you may or may not have, take that one step, today, and do it because you ought. You see, I take it for granted that your intellect doesn't need convincing. Most of us brought up in Christian homes, I think, understand the way well enough. But I am going to do more than that, a strange, bold thing, perhaps. I am going to ask it of you as a favor to me. This morning, the Bible that lay on the table in my room opened for me of its own will. I did not know where to turn. I have neglected the Bible disgracefully, but it seemed to like to open to that account of the calling of the first followers of Christ, and I read it. I'll tell you what took hold of me. Do you remember that every one of them went, almost as soon as they had had speech with Jesus, and told someone else, whom they wanted to have come and see him? And instantly I felt the naturalness of that, and the reasonableness. Why shouldn't we want to do just that thing? I do. I want to do it all my life. I believe the Lord has regenerated me for just that work. I am to go after others with all the strength there is in me. And, Miss Roberts, I hope you will forgive me, and not think me rude, or bold, or presuming. But instantly I thought of you, and I wanted you to be the very first one to whom I should tell this part of my story, as you are. 
Now can I help asking you to go with me to meet Jesus? She was strangely moved. No appeal from mother or teacher, and there had been many, had ever searched her as this one did. She struggled for words to make the reply for which he waited. "'It is true,' she said at last, "'what I told you last night. You are very different from other people. I never in my life heard any such talk as this. It seems to me that you are asking me to do what is impossible.' "'No, I am sure I am not. I am sure you will see, when you think it over quietly, the simplicity and reasonableness of your part. God will do the part that seems to you impossible. But I will not ask you to promise me anything. I have no right. I will ask you to take it to Jesus Christ, and simply promise Him, on your knees alone with Him, that you will do whatever He directs. End of chapter 18